It's great to be worshiping with you here this morning. And uh, man, we're launching a new sermon series this morning. It's called Satisfied. We're walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're walking through the last part of 2 Corinthians. So we've been on a journey walking through the book of 2 Corinthians and broke it down into several different sermon series. And just so you know, 2 Corinthians is kind of one of, it's one of Paul's more uh, tender revealings. It's more of his, let me share with you the heart of who I am as a kind of a person and a pastor. And so we've seen that come out in several different fronts. And, and as we look at chapters 10 through 13, this is all about in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the fires, in the midst of the fight, how can I be satisfied? How can I find my longing in my Savior and be completely fulfilled in Him? Lord, may I live in this world fully satisfied. And all of God's people said, right? It's super easy to get distracted in this world and go after the stuff that this world lifts up and all of a sudden we're like really not liking it very much at all. And maybe you're there this morning. And uh, man, as we start diving into this series, time to start setting some things down and saying, God, what would you have me pick up? How can my worship be adjusted? Lord, may you get all the glory. I can't wait to be satisfied in you. All right? So turn with me, if you will, here to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. And today's sermon is called Fight the Good Fight. This is all about perspective. Make sure we understand what we're actually up against, okay? That's what it's talking about. Make sure we grasp the actual war at hand and how we need to approach it. So how do I fight the good fight? Here we go, point number one. Live in a meek and gentle way with others, if at all possible. And uh, just tying that together with the verses from Romans, like make sure we live at peace, be at peace with all men. In as much as it depends on you, right? That's the kind of emphasis we're going after here. And make sure we live in a meek and gentle way. We'll talk a little bit more about those words as we dive in. So uh, start out here in verse 1. It says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. And we'll just hang right there. Paul's like, I, Paul, myself. Like, can you... Get three words more abutted together that says me, right? I, Paul, his name, myself. He's like, I'm making this super clear. This is me personally saying this. I want you to hear this. I, Paul, myself, I'm entreating you. I'm entreating you. That means I'm really, I'm pleading. I'm longing. I'm wanting this for you. I'm hungering for you to have this, and I'm calling you across to come get it. I'm entreating you. To this. Please do this. And then he says, I'm entreating you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, let's just be super clear on these words. These words are pretty misunderstood in our society today. When we say that somebody is meek, a lot of people start thinking weak. Now, I know those rhyme, but they really aren't the same thing, okay? Meek and weak are very opposite in many regards. Weak is like I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to contradict or confront a soul. I'm just not going to do it. I can't handle it. I don't like it. I'm not going to be about it, okay? Meekness is not that. Meekness is the ability to understand when to engage and how to engage. In fact, I'll just use a quote here. Aristotle, that's going back a few years, right? Right? 
Aristotle said, meekness, it's the middle ground between angry without cause and never angry at all. It's the middle ground between angry without cause, like I just go off the handle. That's who I am. I just blow up, right? That's one extreme. The other extreme is I never, ever, ever get very upset about anything at all, ever. Maybe I don't even care, right? And so the extremes, I care way too much. I bring a 10 to everything. I don't care enough. I bring a zero to everything. Meekness is hanging in that middle ground. Meekness is all about when it's right, when it's appropriate, when it's God-honoring, when it's about righteousness. I weigh in and that matters to me, but always careful and gentle and patient along the way, always wanting the best for my God and His glory. I weigh in, but I also have a patience, okay? That's meekness along the way. And then the other word is gentleness, meek and gentle. And uh, this word means kindness. It's what you engage in order to prevent a sentence from becoming nothing but harsh, right? It's when you have something to say, and you might even be feeling deep in here or thinking in here like, man, do I have some choice words I just want to unleash on this person. I want it so clear that I do not agree with what they're doing or what they're thinking right now. But then we engage kindness, and it tempers the tone And it helps us choose words that in the midst of the process of communicating, we're also saying, I love you, right? You matter. My God matters. You matter. This sin needs to go. This wrong needs to be changed. We're going to talk about it, but I'm telling you, you matter to me, okay? This is a huge deal. And all too often, here's how we usually deal with our matters and our problems in life, right? We go along and they do something wrong, whoever they is. You know who they is to you. Right now you're like, oh, I so know who that is, right? And you get this they moment and you're like, um, that thing happens. You're like, I can't believe they just did that. I can't even believe that. And we start kind of wandering away, muttering under our own breath, right? I can't even believe they thought that way. And then that happens again. And you're like, there we go. That's number two. What in the world? right? Number three, number four, number five, whatever the number gets to for you, maybe you're done at two, maybe you're done at 22, whatever the number is, all of a sudden you're like, that's it. Now you get the wrath of me, right? And now we raise up, we yell out, we lift the point up, we really, we start to put them in a court of law. We're like, let me prove to you nine different ways that you were just ignorant, right? And now we go after them with all we've got. We drill on them with these words, and we want them to now see that they're loved. No, that's not really what we want at all. We want them to just stop doing what they're doing, right? That's the reality. We're trying to just stop an action. And so we raise up with different forms of criticisms or attack or volume or whatever. And uh, man, everybody just say that's a bad plan. And I agree with you. That is a bad plan. And he's like, let's make sure we use the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Christ, when he was on this earth dealing with sin, he dealt with it in a very real way. He didn't just walk around sin. He didn't just ignore sin. But he had a patience in the midst. He was interacting with people who didn't get who he was and didn't get what righteousness was and didn't even understand who God was at all. And he was meek and gentle with them. He knew when to wade into a problem, and there were times where he brought it big. When you flip over a table to make a statement, it's a pretty big statement. 
If you don't think so, try it at home this afternoon at lunch, right? It's a big statement being made. And there's moments where he took a big stand, right? And then there's other times where he actually said, you know what? This is a moment of patience or I'm just going to share very gently why that's not where we're going. And I'm just telling you, Christ had a meekness and a gentleness. He knew when to wade in, but he did wade in. He loved along the way, and he longed for them to come off of their sin to see righteousness and restoration in their souls, okay? He's like, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Yes, I'm going to have a statement to make, and yes, I'm going to bring it, and yes, I'm going to be careful as I do it. I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now he gives a little statement here that kind of is a throwback. It's back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians. It's one of the points that was made early on. And he says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Right? This is the guy who when he was there, he was uh, just a nice guy to them. They were just planting the church. He was being sweet and kind along the way. They're like, that Paul, he's such a great guy. He's so nice. Paul went away, and then some things started going awry in the church of Corinth, a lot of sin going on, and Paul started writing some letters like, dude, you got to knock that off. And he got pretty direct. He even called out some sins that needed to change right now, and it's written in a letter from him to them as he's fairly forceful on it. And they got several of these letters, and they're like, who is that guy? That's not the same guy who was here. They made this really big point that they felt he was being a little different when he was away from them. And so he, like, basically he's recognizing that and saying to him, I just want to make this clear. Yeah, me, you know, the one who was really soft and calm with you and fairly bold in letter went away from you. I'm that guy. That's the meekness and the gentleness. The moments it needed to be confronted, I did always in kindness. You matter to me, and I'm telling you, there's a patience along the way. Paul's like, just so you know and understand, that's exactly what I've been doing, is the meekness and the gentleness of Christ as I've confronted you at times and not at others. He says, I beg of you, back to that word entreat, He's like, please hear me on this. Let's engage in this. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence. He's like, I've had to go off on you in letter form. Let's not have that when I'm face to face, right? Let's make sure when we get there, you've already got all this kind of calmed down, figured out. You're going after it the right way because I'm telling you, I will address sin albeit gently, but I will address sin. I love you. You matter to me. Let's get this thing cleaned up, you guys. Let's not have to talk about it when I get there. And uh, he says, as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Paul's like, listen, I got my little list that I'm ready to bring. And I've been working with this, and I've been praying with my God, and I know exactly where I'm going with it. And there's a few people that are definitely going to have to hear it. And there's some that are accusing that I, Paul, am running around all like in the flesh. It's all just about me. And I'm just telling you, they are going to have to hear about that. We're going to address that moment. Let's make sure you're not getting caught up in all that. Let's make sure you're understanding and getting after what it means to walk in the Spirit while I come in and make sure that we do some appropriate challenging. I'm just telling you that life in the church does involve getting very real on sin. 
And all of God's people said, right? And um, it does, man. We got to get very real. And we talk about it practically from the front all the time. There's things that need to change in our lives, and we're always going to get real with it. Look, man, it's me too. I'm in with you. And we all have to go after our stuff, okay? And Paul's like, just so you know, meekness and gentleness, super important as we go after that. As we look to help clean up either our life or the life of another, may we go after it in a way that is proper and God-honoring with all that we do, okay? Paul's like, I am going to do that. And there are some moments I'm going to have to raise up. May it not be with you. I long for you to get it in, in line with Christ, okay? So in our home, uh, we do a number of different things to celebrate Thanksgiving, but one of them is my wife makes this phenomenal uh, broccoli cheddar casserole. It's uh, really, really good. And uh, she ends up making it in this stoneware stuff. And uh, you know what I'm talking about, that like pampered chef stoneware stuff? So she makes it in that so it cooks this certain way. It's just, it is phenomenal. It's like the rave of the family thing we go to. We go up to a, a, a dinner up in DeKalb and there's about 50 of us up there and everybody wants her to bring that. So she brings that up. And um, so afterwards one year, I thought I would be helpful early on and I would clean up. And uh, so I, t- <laughs> some of you already know where I'm going. So I took the Pampered Chef stoneware and uh, I began to take something that was metal to scrape on it. And, uh, and, and, and all I heard was, no, we have plastic stuff for that. And we have these little plastic special scrapers that come with the Pampered Chef stuff that you have to use for that. So I take that. I'm like, okay. So I start scraping with the plastic thing, right? And I scrape it off for the most part. And I got, yeah, it's pretty much done. I mean, more or less. It's kind of guy done, but we'll be honest. Right? So I'm like, it's done, done. So so I'm like, now it's time to clean it, wash it. So I start to put it in soapy water, right? Thank you. So all the Pampered Chef owners are like, and that's a sin, right? And uh, so, I, so I start to put this in the soapy water and I'll hear, no, not in soap. You're like, what? Like, that's all you hear as a kid, right? Will you please use soap, right? So like, okay, fine, why not? And, and it turns out I found the reason out um, yesterday, so as I asked my wife about this illustration, but uh, actually you're just not supposed to use soap on the stone, stone where it tends to absorb toxins and it stays in it and then comes back out into your food. So you're not supposed to use soap on this. It's not good for it. It doesn't clean up and it's not healthy going forward. It's toxic in nature. Look, man, as much as I desired to clean this earthenware, I was really going at it in a bad way and it wasn't going to get it done, Okay so also true as we approach the lives and the hearts of those around us. We may be desiring to clean up, but if we come with criticism, if we come with volume, if we come with attack, it isn't going to get the job done, okay? Let's be careful. It can be toxic. It can be hurtful. It can get to a point where it doesn't accomplish the cleaning at all, and in fact, it is damaging all involved, May we go after a proper form of confrontation that is meek, patient, and yet waiting in, gentle, loving the person and loving our God, longing to see God glorified. That's the goal. All right. Simple question for you then. So do you have a sin you need to set down? Maybe there's somebody speaking to you in your life. They've been challenging you and asking you 
to get some things clean and it's time to listen. It's time to heed what needs to go. Or maybe you know somebody that needs to have something set down and you know it's time to be waiting in. There's been a lot of patience. You're seeing the sin hurt. What's it going to look like for you to wade in with meekness and gentleness, letting them know you love them and you care about them, but you long to see victory in this area for them? Who is it that God's pressing on your soul to be talking with? Really give it a second. Don't just sit blankly and listen. What's God asking you to do? Something you need to be cleaning up? Something you need to be talking to somebody else about cleaning up? What needs to go? I'm telling you in this broken world, in this sin-wrought world, one of the most important steps in fighting the good fight is that we lean in with meekness and gentleness and we listen and respond when those around us lean in with us. And all of God's people said, all right. Point number two, to fight the good fight, declare war on the right enemy. Declare war on the right enemy. We are in a spiritual war, not a war against mankind. Declare war on the right enemy. We are in a spiritual war, not a war against mankind. I don't know if you know that. You may not realize it. And if you're in a family where it's a little bit hot, you're like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of in a war with my spouse. I'm sort of in a war with my sibling. Uh, I really feel like they're wronging me, and I think that is my, just so you know, that is not the main front of your war, okay? And uh, we're told in Ephesians 6 pretty clearly that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces. There is a whispering into your heart of, can you believe they just did that to you? Did you know that? That as you're not getting along with somebody else, there's actually a whisper into your heart and soul that is saying that's so unfair to you. They should so get your wrath. There is a spiritual war at hand. Be careful, man. Your battle is not just with flesh and blood as you interact about something you disagree on. There is a spiritual war at hand, okay? He says here, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, he's like, yes, we have physical bones and physical flesh. We are walking in that kind of flesh. We are physical human beings walking along using our physical bodies. And so, yes, we are physical in that nature. He's kind of playing on the word flesh here. So at first he's like, yes, we are physical human beings, but we do not walk according to the flesh, and we do not war according to the flesh. The reality is, he's like, our weapons that we bring, man, I'm just telling you, well, those are spiritual. That's a huge deal. And we've got to know and understand that uh, our fleshly walk does not mean that we should be warring according to that flesh. See, it's easy for us to bring anger. It's easy for us to bring uh, criticism attack, frustration, forcefulness, manipulation, control, because that's the flesh. And as we let the me and me start talking, the me and me starts defending me and getting pretty rough about it. And we have to be super careful with that. May we go after the weapons of war that are not of the flesh. It says, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
These weapons that we are to go after, these spiritual weapons have divine power. Did you know that? There is a way you can act and react with people that literally ushers in the power of God to that room. Divine power. This is a huge moment, man, for God to have a say in the room over disagreements going on, for God to be glorified and the right things to be done. Spiritual war. We hear a lot of it in Ephesians 6, and Ephesians 6, 12 through 17 actually gives a list of weapons of war that we have, the armor that we should be putting on. And I'll just list them out here real quickly, starting in verse 12 up through 17. This is what's listed. First, the belt of truth. You attach it on this belt of truth. It is about what is right, what is actually fact, truth. See, here's the deal, man. The number one argument of this world and of Satan is, man, truth is subjective. Do you hear what he's doing? The first attack he's putting out is against the very belt you're supposed to be putting on. Put on the belt of truth. Ah, it's all subjective anyway. Who really cares? Put it down. There's no absolute truth. God doesn't know it all. It isn't just what he says. And that's actually trying to get you to drop the very first thing you're supposed to put on. And why the belt of truth? Well, the belt was actually something that all the rest of the armor attached to and hung on. The belt was super important for the rest of it to work out. Without truth, the rest doesn't get it done. Okay? The belt of truth, that's the first thing we need to be putting on. What does God's word say? What is true about my God? What is true in this broken world? What is true of my broken heart? What is true? Make sure that we anchor in and understand our importance And understanding the truth is so huge. Belt of truth. Then the breastplate of righteousness. That thing we put on that protects our heart, that protects our lungs, that keeps us alive during a war, if you will. The breastplate of righteousness. The thing that protects your heart is you engaged in that which honors God. Righteousness. The thing that protects your heart is you engaged in that which honors God. That is a huge deal. Your righteousness is a huge defense. Did you know that? that you actually just following through with what God has to say for your life is a defense and a protection of your soul. Put on the breastplate of doing what God has to say. Righteousness, okay? The breastplate of righteousness. And then the gospel shoes. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Being able to run out and share the truth of Jesus Christ and his greatness. Being able to get the gospel and the greatness of Jesus and make much of his name. And then the shield of faith. Being able to lift up the shield, the thing that stops the fiery darts, the thing that can take the hammer from the enemy. And note, the thing that takes that hammer is your faith. You're believing in God for tomorrow. The thing that has not yet been made true, but will be made true, and you are trusting in him, get it? Faith. Faith is counting on something you have not yet seen. Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. That's a huge deal, man. You being able to count on your God for tomorrow. Faith. That alone, as you anchor in with Jesus Christ, is a huge protection And just so you know, one of the number one attacks that Satan comes with after, there is no real absolute truth. It's, can you really trust God? It rattles your faith. All of it, 
If he can get your belt of truth off, if he can get your shield of faith down, man, I'm telling you, you get vulnerable. You get vulnerable. And uh, the shield of faith and then the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, uh, without being saved, without trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, without saying, you're in charge of my life, take over, God, please cover what I owe. Without that happening, believing he is risen from the dead, confessing him as Lord, I'm telling you, massively vulnerable. No helmet at all in the war. Your head, your thinking, it's not there. There's absolutely no defense without the salvation. And then, sword of the Spirit. And uh, one of the only offensive ones, right? Being able to bring this sword out, the word of God, and use the word to be able to know and understand, to discern and grasp. It builds your faith. It builds your hope. It builds your understanding of your righteousness. In fact, the, sh- the sword of the Spirit is strengthening the breastplate of righteousness and strengthening the shield of faith. At the same time, it is actually an attack out in against saying, that is not the way God's going to move, and this is how it goes. Thus saith the Lord. Man, I'm just telling you, a spiritual war is had with these elements. Make sure you don't go at it with your human manipulations. I'll hurt your feelings. I'll yell louder. I'll attack or accuse. I'll use a name call. I'll get a hold of a couple of your friends, and I'll get them to think sideways about you. Those are all fleshly manipulations in a spiritual war. They don't get it done. May we anchor in on the truth. May we follow what's right. May we literally pick up a faith, a hope, a trust in Jesus Christ, running the gospel message with all we've got, trusting saved in him and letting God's word lead. That's spiritual war. Being able to go at it like that, man. Make sure you understand that that's when God's divine power is unleashed into the room. As you trust in him, you lean on him, you have faith in him. You will not doubt or question him. You let his word reign. May God have the say and the final say. He's in charge. And all of God's people said, that is a spiritual war. Notice it says the end result, to destroy strongholds. Just so you know, a stronghold is when something is taken over and held captive and uh, being manipulated. And Satan can have a stronghold in your life. Yes, you can be saved and he can have a stronghold. He can have a manipulation into your life, a weakness in your thinking, a refusal to trust God, a sin you tend to revisit where he tends to get that manipulation on you. And it weakens your breastplate of righteousness. It weakens your shield of faith. It takes your eyes off of your God. It calls you to disconnect the belt of truth as you allow Satan to have an impact in your day. I'm telling you, each and every little sin that you say, ah, it's just, it's a weakening. It's a stronghold option for him to be able to lean in on and use in your life. Don't toy with sin, man. Set it down and be done with it. Confess it and let God deal with it and watch God work. It is a divine power against these strongholds. And I just wrote these words down. What Satan holds or influences can be broken by committed truth, righteous living, dedicated faith, and powerful prayer. Man, I'm telling you that our commitment to truth and righteousness and faith and prayer 
It breaks any stronghold that Satan has. Are you hearing me? Breaks any stronghold. Amen, man. Nothing can take you except what you let. When you say, that's the end, I declare this war done. My God has a say in this. This is his word. This is where I stand. I will not move. I'm telling you, man, amen. Divine power to destroy strongholds. Sin down, God glorified, you lifted up and growing. Now that's power. And all of God's people said, that's what we're going after, man. You know, you heard Pastor Kent say this, but uh, we just uh, had a church plant this morning in Haiti, in Capation. I'm just telling you, if you want a good summary of Haiti, it's um, uh, extremely poverty-ridden, third world for sure, extremely poverty-ridden, 80% Catholic, 100% voodoo. That's Haiti. It is a dark world. And in America, Satan kind of uses the ploys, the little whispers, the twists. It's very subtle stuff that goes on to get you to think in certain ways. I'm telling you, in Haiti, it's just overt darkness that goes on. And these guys are planting a church right in the middle of it. Cap Haitian is on the extreme north side of Haiti. It's up on the other end. Jack Mel's on the extreme south. We thought we'd get both ends of it, right? So we've got the extreme north side now, and uh, just amazing what they've got going on as they plant this morning. We'll see what God turns out there, and we'll get a report back from Pastor Steve next week on that. But uh, super excited about what's going on there. Hear me, man. It is a spiritual war. And as the voodoo elements are called out, as there is strong call out for spiritual war and attack, I'm just telling you, every time we send somebody down there to plant a church, it gets a little harder in our home. And uh, fair? And uh, I'm just being real with you, man. I don't even know if I've ever said this before publicly. I'm just telling you, when we plant churches in Haiti, it hurts. And uh, I'm just telling you, Satan tries to take a toll. He tries to kick back. There are whispers that come in, the whisper of, you're so not worth it. Why do you even, they don't even care about. It destroys relationships you have, and it's in the moment, and it all starts as we send people on the ground. I'm just telling you, it's very, I'm being very transparent. I didn't even plan on telling you this, and now I'm telling you this, so, so make sure you share it around. <laughs> the reality is, it's heart attacks that whisper to the pit of your soul and pull you away and try to isolate you from God or friends. That is from the pit of hell. And I'm just telling you, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual whisper in this world, and don't kid yourself. Hanging on to your sin and refusing to listen to what God has to say comes with a cost. I guarantee you so much of the struggles we have, so many of the depressive elements we tend to start bringing into our life are whispers from the pit of hell. Be so careful with what you hear and what you listen to. Know this, we have armor that is spiritual in nature and we can bring it. And what's it look like when you bring it, man? Well, I'm just telling you, take a look at last week. As we walk in with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, as we're praying powerfully over, as we've got people praying in this room, as we're walking through a gospel message, and we bring it three times over in the services. Last week, we had 22 people accept Christ as Savior. Praise God for that. Amen. Huge. 
22 people who said, that's the end of it. I'm done just trying to get it done myself. You're in charge, God. Man, I'm telling you, in that moment, there was a groaning from the pit of hell as another soul was won for Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, man, amen. This is a war. This is a fight. This is not just make me feel good, church. We do battle against principalities and powers. May we engage. May we grasp. God knows exactly what he's doing. We lean on him. We trust in him. May he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, all right. So simple question, do you see the war? Do you see the enemy? Are you hearing the whisper from the pit of hell? Is it time to stop listening to the whisper and time to start picking up the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and see your righteousness and your faith increase that God may get all the glory? Recognize the battle and go after it, man. May God get all the glory. Last here, point number three. Stand for truth and obey your great God. Stand for truth and obey your great God. Um, What's it look like when divine power enters a room and has a say? Here's three things that happen, all right? And he starts out in verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. God doesn't know what he's talking about, those statements. Yeah, but if God so was so this, then why would he? We destroy those arguments with logic and reason from God's word that takes these lofty opinions and renders them useless. God is in charge. He is to be worshiped. And as we go after the spiritual weapons, we lift him rightly up and worship him with all we've got. And our lives begin to be changed. And the ridiculous logic of this world that tries to stand against Jesus Christ crumbles, crumbles. He's like, I'm telling you this. The first move is the knowledge and lofty opinions are done because you have the truth. Bring it. That's the first piece. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God. And then we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. Our thoughts begin to follow after Jesus Christ. When God starts moving in the room and in our lives, we literally start to be changed. We're like, I hear you, God. I'm following you, Jesus Christ. I get it. We take every thought captive. Please be careful. This is not a muscle it moment. This isn't where you're like, all right, that's it. I'm going to do this all by myself. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. Right? And Philippians chapter 4 talks about the peace that comes as we think about the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. Man, as you put your mind on the things that God is about, God will so pour into you a peace that comes from him. You watch God work as you hang on to the things he's doing in your life. Your thoughts are a playground for Satan. Be careful. It is time for us to allow God to take those thoughts captive, convincing us of where we need to be putting our mind and what we should be thinking on that he might get all the glory. 
First, we put down the outside arguments. Now we're putting down the inside arguments, right, when we're taking our own thoughts captive. And then last, being ready to punish every disobedience. Did you know that? That for divine power to actually be moving in a room, sin must be done. And we need to be willing to speak to it meekly and gently, but done. We must deal with our sin. And we must be willing to lean in with a friend and call it out with them. Meekly and gently. Galatians 6.1, when we come alongside a brother in sin, come along gently, humbly. Man, we don't have our act together. We happen to just be able to see a little bit of what you're going through. I got stuff I'm going through. May we walk through this together. The divine powers move in the room as we call the logic of the room out and render it useless. As our self-talk is directed towards worship and in the end, as the unrighteousness becomes righteousness, may God get all the glory. That's what it looks like. May God get all the glory as sin is addressed, God is worshiped, and we are on our knees before him that is true. All right. He says here, right at the end, when your obedience is complete. He's like, just so you know, I'm sending you this letter and I've been challenging you out and I'm calling you to get it clean and so get it clean. And as I'm on this journey and coming to you, when I get there, I'm telling you this, may God have already worked in your soul, may it already be resolved so that as I get there, I'm not dealing with you and your stuff, that's already done. And for those who have refused, we will have some say in. We're going to call it out meekly and gently, but we're calling it out. Sin will be addressed. The lofty opinions and the standing against God will be addressed and the self-talk will be called out. May God get all the glory. That is fighting the good fight. 